Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. Um, we are joined in the studio uh, with Rajal. Um, Rajal, how do you pronounce your last name? Petroda. Petroda. Yeah, um, producer um, working between the worlds of fiction and nonfiction. And um, and joining us to talk about um, a new project um, that uh, Higher 15 which is um, Amaha Mola's um, uh, story <laughs> about about um, about her uncle, and um, so I'm just trying to make sure that uh, Amaha is with us. Amaha, um, can you say something? Make sure we have you in the studio. Hmm. You can't hear Rajal, him. Um, no, uh-uh. No, we can't hear him at all. Mm-mm. Okay. So, what do we? What do you suggest? Should I play a song uh, and you go figure it out? <laughs> yeah, you can do that uh, if that okay. works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, oh, I know what I can do. I can text. Um, um, I've texted text Amaha. Him. He says he can hear us, but um, he's going to call back oh. in. Okay, good, excellent, excellent. All righty. So while we're waiting for um, Omaha to call us back, um, let me let me read your bio, and then we could talk about um, this <laughs> this one hundred thousand dollar funding for your for your documentary, which is yeah. pretty phenomenal. Um, and, and the pitch yeah. black and the black um, public media uh, platform organization. Sure. Okay, there is Omaha calling us back. Hello? Hi. Oh, super. Oh, great. Hey. Glad to have <laughs> you with us. Congratulations. I can hear oh, you super, all. Super. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. So, I'm going to um I'm going to read your bios and then we can jump right into the discussion because I'm really excited to hear more about about your uncle um Amaha um, you know, the revolutionary and wow, what 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 an experience, you know, uh, that you're going to be sharing with us, um, you know, that he had um, as, uh, you know, a person, you know, who is here, you know, uh, on asylum almost, you know, in the running to the, the perpetrator. Wow, that's that's crazy. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Amaha. Amaha Mala is a creative and marketing professional with experience across production, advertising, and brand strategy. Um he directed six short films while working uh, in marketing at oh, Grenatech. Is it Grenatech? Genentech. Genentech, yeah. Sorry. I haven't said that word in so long. I remember That's seeing it all okay. the time, the big structure, you know. Oh, yeah, you're in the is that, San, uh, is that yeah, San Mateo that I saw it in? Um, <laughs> uh, South San Francisco, yeah. South San, yeah, going that way, exactly. Yep. <laughs> like, what is Genentech? It looks <laughs> ominous. <laughs> Um, a biotechnology company. In this role, um, he led the creative and production teams for an award-winning brand agency developing and producing uh, content focused on the stories of patients with cancer. Um, uh, Mala was responsible for creating story concepts, directing animation and motion graphics teams, managing on-set cast and crew, and final cut. Uh, he is interested in developing and directing stories that focus on the Ethiopian community. 
of which this story we're going to be talking about today, Higher 15, is about really deeply personal story at that. Uh, Rajal, yeah. um, uh, how do you pronounce your last name, Rajal? Oh, Raj- it, it's, it's Rajal Petroda. Rajal. Uh, okay. Rajal um, Petroda? Petroda. Petroda, thank you. <laughs> I don't have my phonetic key here. Um, uh, Rajal is a producer working between the worlds, as we already mentioned, of fiction and nonfiction film. Um, she most recently produced Down a Dark Stairwell, which premiered at the 2020 True False Film Festival. Oh, that sounds really intriguing. Um, she was an associate producer of The Kindergarten Teacher. Really? A 2018 Sundance selection and co-producer of OG, a 2018 Tribeca Film Festival selection. Is OG like in OG? Original oh, Gangster yeah, OG? Yeah, kind of, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, which which one? What OGs? There's a lot it, of OGs. It's a film, it's film, uh, it's a film that was on HBO. Um, starring Jeffrey Wright. It's a fiction film about um, a group of men in prison. Oh, oh wow. okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Is it available? Uh, yeah, it should be on HBO On Demand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sounds intriguing. Both of you all are doing some really, really important projects. Um, you are the t- a 2020 Sundance Creative Producing Fellow, and uh, you are resident at SF Film, Film House and an impact-producing fellow with Firelight Media. Love Firelight. Oh, my goodness. Love Firelight. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm so happy you both in the Bay Area. So we can, like, say, yeah, big ups, you know, for the great, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, um, black um, public media's pitch black. I just Is that, like, a great title, pitch black? Like, whoa, and all the light coming through with films like yours. So tell us about um, this this um, this work that you are now you have all this money um i guess to produce to finish it or how does how does it work what do you do with the hundred thousand dollars <laughs> with yeah. regards to your film yeah that's a great question so we um we've basically been raising money for our film most documentaries cost much more than a hundred thousand dollars but this is an amazing amount of money that will get us um hopefully through the through the production line for a film, which means that we'll fin- be able to finish shooting, and then that will move us into the edit, so we can then start editing. Um, so that's what we'll be using this hundred thousand from Black Public Media for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell us, um, uh, Amaha, about the film. Um, tell us about the story that you that you tell in Higher Fifteen, and and just to make sure I'm clear. So is the film finished and you you need the money is going to help you produce it or do you still have to actually complete the film? No, the film isn't finished. We're we're still in the uh in the middle of shooting the film and so uh that's that's what this these funds will help us with is to be able to finish um actually shooting footage and doing interviews and and things like that and so then once we once we finish those aspects of the film then we'll move into to editing the film and then uh hopefully premiere it at some film festivals so that's that's mm-hmm. the plan for it but um as far as the story goes it's really um 
it's a it's a deeply personal story about my family so my um my family uh fled ethiopia during the revolution in the 1970s um when Haile Selassie was overthrown by a government regime called the derg and so uh the derg came to power and um essentially started terrorizing the population. It's estimated that upwards of 500,000 Ethiopians were killed over a two-year period um, when the the Derg was trying to gain control of the country. And so um, luckily my parents had left for the U.S. They had come here for school um, just after the revolution started, but before the violence started. And so they had left and were in the U.S., had always planned to go back to Ethiopia. They were they came here to get educated, um, to, to go to school. They, they'd gone to school in Ethiopia and to university. My dad's a veterinarian and was coming here to get, to get additional training. So he came to get his education and, along with my mom. Um, and then the revolution broke out, and they ended up having to stay here and started to try to bring all their their family members here, particularly my uncle Kuflu, who um, was a revolutionary kind of fighting against this regime that was committing all these atrocities against the government. Um, He was organizing protests and, you know, uh, passing out um, information about what, what this new government was doing and for those activities he was arrested um, and thrown in kind of a, a makeshift prison um, called Higher 15. And so this, this prison was really brutal uh, because they had one particularly vicious prison guard named Warku who um, would terrorize prisoners. He would torture prisoners He and he killed over... 200 prisoners while while at higher 15 and so my uncle was there during this and um he decided to escape and so after being there for 19 months he finally saw an opportunity and was able to escape from prison and his parents were able to um get these two somali nomads actually to smuggle them across the border they walked for 10 miles and i'm sorry 200 miles in 10 days across the uh, up, smuggled across the border into Djibouti where he eventually made his way to the U.S. Um, and, and stayed with me and my family and my parents since they, they had already been here. Uh, so after that, he kind of establishes himself in Colorado. He gets a job. He has children. He has a child. He, he gets married. Uh, he goes to school. And so things are going pretty well. And then 33 years later, after he fled the prison, he goes to a cafe in Colorado and sees that prison guard there. And so the there's a fallout from there. The, he, he confronts him. There ends up being an FBI investigation. Kiflu tries to get other prisoners. And so the story is really kind of, it, it goes from there as well into kind of how Kiflu ends up uh, ultimately leading the way to get uh, Worku, um, who is the prison guard, imprisoned. Uh, he's now in a federal prison in 
outside of Denver, um, uh, serving a 22-year sentence for for different immigration charges uh, for uh, essentially stealing a man's identity to come to the U.S. So that's kind of the the plot of the story, but it's it's really a story about um, our family and families like us who have to flee kind of these violent situations, whether it's, you know, immigrants from Cambodia or from Iraq or Afghanistan or um, all these other countries. Unfortunately, it seems to be part of the human experience where uh, there's some type of government change and then violence happens um, and then people need to flee. And so we often hear about these stories in the moment um, when they're happening, like in Syria or elsewhere, but we don't really see the repercussions of it years later, how that impacts the people who are part of it, and then also how it impacts the next generation who who grow up here and might not know as much about their country because their family is really... Um, has a lot of trauma around what happened there and doesn't want to speak about it. And, and then what, what are the repercussions from that? And so um, that's, that's really what the film is about and what it gets to the heart of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What a, uh, what an important story uh, as well. Um, you know, um, people can probably, a lot of people probably can resonate with that uh, here in our country because of, uh, origin stories. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you all meet? <laughs> um, we were actually yeah. I'm trying to think. We were actually put in touch um, via a common friend. So, uh, just a friend here in San Francisco. Um, I've been producing documentaries for a few years, and she kind of just asked me if I, you know, wanted to meet with Amaha, who was just starting to work on this film. So, Amaha, if I remember correctly, I think you and I just, like, met for a coffee in the mission and then uh, just started talking more about the film, and here we are. (laughs) Yeah. From my point Uh. of view, this mutual friend has said, (laughs) do you mind if I tell uh, this woman who's a friend of mine about your story. She's a, this great producer. She actually described Rajal as a powerhouse. She's like, she's a powerhouse. Like, let me, let me tell, like, do you mind if I tell her about it? I was like, oh, please do. And then she said, you know, she's interested in the story and wants to learn more. Would you be open to meeting? And I was like, of course. And then as soon as I met Rajal, I was like, oh, I need her on my team. She needs to be on this film. <laughs> Rajal was Raja was a little hesitant. I come on a little strong, and uh, she she was kind of like, ah, let me see. And so we worked together for a little bit before she actually committed. But I was like, almost every day we'd meet. I was like, so you want you want to produce it? You want to you want to be a producer? And she was like, I don't know. Let's see. And then finally one day she she was like, yes, I'll be a producer. And so we worked together yeah. ever since and it's been wonderful. She's she's incredible and we're well she's made the film so much better in so many ways and uh is just mm. incredible to work with. So um oh. it's it's great. Yeah, making a yeah. film is, is a long a long process and so you definitely wanna be working with people that you know, you not only feel are smart and capable and dedicated, but that are also just bull and 
if there was any hesitation on my part, it was just like, you know, you want to get to know someone well before and getting to know Amaha was like, he's just so, so authentic in, in why he wants to tell the story and in who he is. And so it was like a, a natural fit in the end. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, the competition and the process and, and, and I also noticed that um, you were, um, you were both mentored by veteran filmmaker and editor Sam Pollard. So maybe you can talk about that as well. Cause we, we know him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've had him. Sam I've, been, I've interviewed yeah. him before. He is awesome. He yeah. is awesome. He's a living legend and, it was uh, just an incredible experience to have him as a mentor, you know, his insight, um, his help, and just uh, his feedback throughout the process. It was, it was really incredible, especially to have someone who has, who has so much experience to be able to, to have him even know about our film. It was pretty, pretty remarkable. So we were really grateful to Black Public Media for setting us up with him. Um, the incubator uh you know it it was a it was such a unique and um, expansive kind of learning experience we we learned different techniques and um, kind of approaches to pitching different things about our story about ourselves and why why like our connection to the story and kind of exploring our our own individual reasons for for why we're making the film and that was done in a really unique way um to kind of go deep within yourself and and find find out why why you're why you're making this film and why it's important to you and in in doing that i, I learned you know there are things in this film, not only because it's about like my family, my country, and my community for for why I'm making it, but just like Kuflu's relentless nature of figuring out a way to survive and then coming here and then being relentless and going after Worku. Uh, I learned that that's really what also is resonating with me to to kind of make this film. So we we learned a lot about a lot of different aspects, not only about filmmaking and about kind of the industry and how that works, but also about ourselves and our connection to it. So it was a really great opportunity, and I'm just so grateful to Black Public Media for selecting us to be part of the incubator and allowing us to participate in it. It was it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, Rajala, um, um, do you have um, any anything you want to add to the? Uh, um, Black Public Media's 360 Incubator um, experience. Yeah. yeah, the only other thing I'll say is that um, I think in the in the film business there aren't that many spaces um, just created for people of color, and I think that um, Black Public Media just you know was able to and has created this amazing space where you can come kind of as you are, you're encouraged to take up space and be bold and kind of make the work you want to make. And I think that that's something that 
um, you know, is is lacking in certain parts of the, the documentary industry. And so I think having just having that space as filmmakers um, and being, you know, told to take up that space, I think is just is so important. And and I'm just so grateful for us to, to have had that opportunity with them. So it was just it was an amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if you could, you know, um, <clears throat> maybe uh, connect um, your uncle's story and this film, Higher Third, Higher um, Fifteen, sorry, to um, to current events. Um, uh, both of you, um, because a lot of times, you know, when you when you're, you know, this is a historic. Um, I mean, this sort of history meets the present. Um, but there, I mean, there's a lot of residents. Like for instance, there's a lot happening in East Africa right now. There's a lot of mm-hmm. violence. Um, there's a lot of unrest um, among the various ethnic groups, and and the dominant one, and the people in in power presently, and and it's you know sort of like history is kind of cyclical, cyclical in so far as like okay we thought we thought we put a, a nail in that like you know that like we were done <laughs> and that we had resolved yeah. this like. Nope. Here we go again. Like, yeah. What lesson can we, you know? Yeah, it's one if you could sort of, um, you know, come back around and show and see some things that, wow, you know, the impact of this this story, um, how it, it's, you know, you hadn't seen some of the various ways that it is going to have an impact because, you know, when you, you know, first started. Um, making the film when you first thought of the film, when you first found, you know, learned of your uncle's story, you know, some of these things hadn't happened yet. And, you know, and by the time the film is finished, some other things will have happened. Yeah. I think, I think the resonance with today is that, you know, I'm not sure if the people who uh, kind of are the perpetrators of this violence on either side really, think about the repercussions that might happen in the moment or down the line, right? When Worker was doing these things in the prison, I don't know if he was thinking about, you know, the potential for something happening 33 years after, right? And it following him for that long. And so I think one of the goals is, to at least get people to understand, like, your past follows you. It stays with mm-hmm. you. And it, it becomes not only part of the people who you violated in some way, but it becomes part of you as well. And so, like, it doesn't go away, right? Um, you might think what you're doing in the moment is righteous or, like, justified or whatever else, but um, someone on the other side might not. So I think just more thought and being more thoughtful about the things that are that are happening and the the kind of um, things that that these people are doing in the moment um, is something that that I'd like to see. I think another thing is there's a large. Um, population of people who have been forced to flee like if we think about Ethiopia right now there's a large population that is going across the border into Sudan um, to escape the violence there and so we we see this 
happening again, like much in the way that my uncle and other Ethiopians had to flee into Djibouti during the 1970s. Um, it's happening now in Sudan, and there's going to be people from there who make their way into Europe or into the United States, and then they have children like, you know, like me. I'm, I'm first generation in the U.S., and my family never planned to leave Ethiopia. They always planned on going back, and now, you know, we're, we're in the U.S., uh, which I'm, I'm glad that we're here, but my, my family had, had other plans, right? And so there's going to be a fallout from that, and then there's going to be another generation that grows up outside of their country, outside of where their family had intended them to because of this. And so then it's like, what, what happens with those people? What, what, what becomes of them and how they think about themselves, how they know their country? Do they speak the language? Those types of things. So it's, it's kind of twofold in that way um, of, of how I think about it in terms of what's going on in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you have you been to Ethiopia or your you know your homeland? I have. I've been a uh, a couple times. Most recently in 2019. Oh, okay. Yeah, very recently. So yeah. So how does it feel? Um, you know, in your body. Oh, that's a good question. Um, it feels. Um, it feels good to see people who look like me. Like I've I've always grown up in communities that aren't necessarily where people look at me. I, I grew up in a predominantly white community, and so I've I always I never saw people who looked like me except when we'd go to church or you know family gatherings or things like that. So just being around. Uh, that many black people and especially Ethiopians who, you know, have similar features to me. It, it's pretty remarkable, but it also feels very foreign, right? I remember the first time I went, it just, it felt like a different planet to me. It was, it was, um, I was also 14 when I went, so it was through the eyes of a 14 year old, but I'd never seen anything like it and so um i was very much an american and somewhere that that i didn't know um and so and and also because i don't speak the language there's there's a barrier there like people see me on the street and they they perceive me to have grown up there or be from there but as soon as i open my mouth or even (laughs) sometimes when i don't open my mouth they can tell I'm I'm a foreigner in some way uh, to them, so it's it's this complicated feeling when I go because it's it's where I'm from, it's like my blood, but my my mind is different because I'm not I'm not fully um, part of that. I, I don't have the same experience, you know, of growing up there, so. Mhm. It's complex. Right. Yeah. I was just wondering, um, and then when you returned in two thousand nineteen, um uh 
you know, with, with more stories, I was just thinking, did your dreams change, you know, like those blood memories sort of being stirred up? Because you don't have to have language to have that DNA connection. You just can't articulate it necessarily in your mother tongue. So I was just wondering, like, did your, did your dreams change any, um, you know, as you were, like, in, you know, in the motherland, so to speak, um, and then working on this work is sort of like putting you right in it historically mm-hmm. in a particular place. And then and then and then the story is connecting the two diasporas, you know, um, you know, your homeland and your your homeland. <laughs> Cuz this is your home too. That's right. Um no, I wouldn't say like directly my dreams changed. I I had a very I mean, it was a highly emotional experience going to Ethiopia in 2019. We were we were filming. We went with my uncle. Um, we went and met people who he hadn't seen for a long time. Uh, we met family members, uh, friends, family members of his friends who had been killed during the revolution. Um, we went to the we went to higher fifteen and it was the first time he'd been since uh he escaped and so it was a highly highly emotionally charged uh experience there and so um because I was kind of filming and really focused on my uncle's well being and then also in uh making sure we were we were getting what we needed for the film uh I wasn't really taking care of myself that well during the time. And so once we got back, I just kind of, uh, I don't know, lost. <laughs> and I like, I started, I, I probably, I told Rajal, I like cried for like mm-hmm. three days straight because of it. It's just like very, you know, you, you learn these things about your family that you didn't know. And you, I, I thought I knew, these people you know especially my uncles and aunts they had come when they came from Ethiopia our house was kind of um, the landing spot for a lot of them and so they would live with us for a while and they I think we're we're very close because of that and so um, I know them really well and really deeply and then to learn this other aspect of them and what they went through and to learn what what my parents went through um, worrying about their family who was there like my mom being hospitalized for anxiety uh, while living here because she was so concerned about her brothers and sisters in Ethiopia. It's just like this whole other life that they, they've they lived that I had no idea about. And so just I'm grateful I, I learned about it and I know about it now and I, I have a genuine understanding of who they are. Um, and that's, that's kind of also a reason why I'm making this. It's to kind of gain more understanding of them and more intimacy with them to to truly know who they are. Right. Yes. So, um, how do people um, stay in touch with you to to um, sort of keep track of of where you are in the production of the work and just yeah just, just encourage you and send you money and whatever else you need. <laughs> well, we, um, 
I was thinking, Amaha, maybe the the Center for Independent Documentary is um, one of our fiscal sponsors, so people can can donate for the film that way. But they also have a a web page, so if you um, search for Higher Fifteen and the Center for Independent Documentary, you should be able to find more information on the film as well as a way to to contact us. So yeah. Super. Excellent. And um, definitely want to have you all on again when you get closer to um, getting ready to head off to a film festival or when you have a film festival you have entered your work into um, because um, definitely want to hear um, uh, uh, Rajala. um, Is it Rajala? Rajal. right? Rajal, sorry, Rajal. I don't know why I put okay. an A on the end of that. And I'm reading it. I mean, it's spelled right on my Adding a change in your name. Um, basically, I'm like moving from different rooms in my in my house because they're doing the gardening and I don't want you all to hear the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little distracted. My apologies. No worries. Um, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, know, I know you probably, given, given your name, um, Rajal, um, you, have, you have a story. You know, um, and my next guest is in the studio. But but in closing, I, I wanted you to um, maybe sort of link your story to this story um, with regards yeah, to yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, for me, I mean, you know, we we talked about how Amaha and I met. Um, for me, what really resonated deeply with this film and with um, the story of Amaha's family is just this idea of legacy, especially within the immigrant community. You know, my parents um, immigrated to the U.S. from India, and although they didn't flee war and violence, there was still, you know, this idea of you're leaving something behind in the country that you come from, and you're coming to America to, quote, unquote, start again. You know, it's, it's to go after the American dream, to to have the immigrant experience. But I think there's this reality that comes with it that maybe people in that generation weren't that aware of, and that's the what you've left behind actually never leaves you. And so, you know, I've grown up in India for a bit. I've lived in India as an adult. I, I still feel very connected to it as a place and as a culture. And so I think that um, that's really what, what I felt deeply when, when hearing about Amaha's family and his family's story, just this idea of legacy and, and how, you know, even when you leave a place behind, it actually still very much stays with you. Right, which which I think is a good thing, um, particularly yes, once definitely. once you realize that it's there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, congratulations yeah. once again, both of you, on this great uh, film project and some more resources to be able to help make it happen. You know, the way you envision it in your minds, and maybe even beyond that. You know, what are the ancestors saying about the story? And in your uncle, I'm mm-hmm. sure he is really excited about the work. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't familiar. be able to do tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you and have I permission. Uh, yeah. yeah, we do fully. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for the conversation, and again, we're looking forward to having another one with you um, as soon as you all, you know, see fit. You know, please, um, you know, let us know. You, we are, we are in your service, as 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 um, no. I can say. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so Thank much you for, having, for us. having us. Yeah. Oh, you're quite welcome. <laughs> Peace and blessings. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. <clears throat> ah, Cheryl Lynn, how are you? Hi. 
I'm good. How Hi. are you? Oh, I'm fine. Congratulations. Um on the is it the ninth edition of the Bay Area Book the seventh, Festival? The seventh edition of the Bay Area Book seventh Festival edition. and the second okay. one that is virtual. We had to mm-hmm. uh cancel last year's festival which was scheduled for early May, um, only seven weeks before, which was kind of crazy. Um, yes. But this year, obviously, we knew it was going to be virtual from the start. Mm-hmm. And and what a what a lineup you have! My goodness. Thank so you. So maybe um, maybe oh yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember all the uh, book festivals we used to have in the San Francisco Bay Area, all around the Bay mm-hmm. Area, and then all of a sudden, yeah. They were no more. I remember the really beautiful one at Fort Mason Center. Yeah, and yeah. and that was right. That was really, really, really nice. And and we had right. book festivals in Oakland and mm-hmm. I think Berkeley. Yep, Berkeley had one. Too. Yeah, well, right, right. And you know, yeah, yeah. And yeah. but then yours yeah. sort of came along at a time when mm-hmm. there weren't that many anymore. Right. Particularly yeah. Particularly in the in, were, in the Bay Area. Right. Well, that's why I started it. Um, you know, I'm from <laughs> L.A. originally, and I mm-hmm. moved up here to work at the Center for Investigative Reporting, actually, um, the end of 2009. Really? And, yeah, and I had known the people who created the L.A. Times Festival of Books, which, of course, is huge. And my own yeah. love has always been books and literature. I mean, I've been involved in journalism for years, but really my passion is literature. So I did a crazy thing, and I quit a very stable, nice job at Center for Investigative Reporting and went out to start a book festival. Um, And, you know, now I know. I mean, they're not easy to sustain. There's just very little support, actually, for literary stuff, which is one of the struggles that the previous book festival had. So, but, you know, we've, we've made it work. And, you know, we have just phenomenal writers so, you know, this year, I don't know if you want to kind of jump into what's happening this year, but um, we decided yeah, yeah, to please, do, you know, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We decided to do a much smaller festival. I mean, usually we have, you know, it's in person, downtown Berkeley, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, what do we have, 275 authors, which is what was scheduled <laughs> a couple of years ago. This mm-hmm. year, we have it really boiled down since it is virtual, um, to about 45 authors or speakers, you know, including moderators overall. So Mm -hmm. it's really kind of the cream of the crop. And, you know, one of the most exciting events is going to be Saturday night on uh, May 8th, and that features Tracy K. Smith, who is a former U.S. Poet Laureate, who um, is a Pulitzer member, or Pulitzer winner, and she is the co-editor of a book called There's a Revolution Outside, My Love, which is an anthology featuring poets and fiction writers and essayists on the events of 2020, which, you know, it's like they were so profound. I mean, everything from the, you know, the, the, the protests to the, you know, the murders to COVID to the election and really, who can sort of speak the unsayable but poets? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so tra- we have Tracy and we have two other top black poets. Um, one of them is Reginald Dwayne Betts, who has a phenomenal book called Felon. 
and he was in maximum security prisons. Um, and when he got out, he went to the Yale Law School, <laughs> pretty amazing, and he began writing poetry. Um, and now he is the poetry editor for the New York Times Magazine. And he writes a lot about criminal justice and his experience. So he is going to be speaking. And then the last person, actually the last of the poets presenting, is Camille um, Dungy. And she's Camille. also, yeah, do you know her? Yeah, I know her work. Yeah, I interviewed her when she when the mm-hmm. book came out um, around African-American um, writers about um uh, about agrarian culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, I forgot the name of the anthology. Do you know the name of the anthology mm-hmm. I'm thinking of? I don't. I don't know. No, I don't. Um, I do know about her memoir, which was about um, really race and motherhood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so she's a very wide-ranging writer. Um, so she's also joining this conversation. And it's being moderated by Ismail Mohammed, who mm-hmm. lives in Oakland. He's a literary critic, and he's now also joined the New York Times Magazine um, as a story editor. So mm-hmm. I just this is going to be one of the best events of the festival. I mean, so we gave it the Saturday night closing spot, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and you know, I these are voices we need to hear about really what happened in the last year and where we are now and what's needed going forward. Mm. Yeah, Camille's book uh, that I'm thinking of, because she was mm-hmm. uh, she got an award for it at the um, Bay Area Book um, Reviewers Association, um, mm-hmm. and it's called Black Nature, Four Centuries of African-American Nature Poetry, and yeah. that was back in 2009. Okay, yeah, yeah. So she's been at it for a long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. so she's, she's amazing. She's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And then also um, tonight there's a tribute mm-hmm. to um, uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti who, who made his yes. transition um, mm-hmm. earlier this year and uh, at 101. <laughs> yeah, and, and are, I know. Is the, uh, is the poetry, um, is the book festival um, a part of, you know, the presenting organizations or, or around this? Because that's how I know about it is looking up you know, this festival and then seeing that, um, yeah, that this, yeah. this uh, event is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we were a, um, or are a promotional partner. So we're okay. not in that celebration, but we have had Getty celebrations. We actually had one at the festival a couple of years ago when he turned 100. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we've been part of it, and um, I know um, – Tago Eisen Martin, if I'm getting his name right. Um, he's yeah, a poet. Is one of the, published, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's one of the speakers, and he's published by City Light, so we've featured him before. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be a really terrific um, conversation. And, you know, these, these the poets I was just mentioning on Saturday night, um, you know, they're in Lawrence's tradition, you know. I mean, Lawrence's poetry just spoke about, injustice and um, the political system and, you know, and also about joy and, um, you know, about life. And um, the poets we're featuring are very much part of his legacy. 
So we're we're excited to be part of the event tonight, and um, you know, at least sort of behind the scenes, um, and then you know, leading up to the festival. Right, right, yes. So tell our audience um, how to you know get tickets, and um, mm-hmm. is there a cost for all of the events um, or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know you, um, the Bay Area. Um, uh, Book Festival has had adult and family-friendly mm-hmm. children's programming. I mean, where you're giving away books and right. having all kinds mm-hmm. of literary um, sort of themed activities. You know, when when you are you mm-hmm. know had play had a place. You know, in downtown Berkeley yeah. with the park. Yeah, and, I know. We'll, we'll come the, back. We'll the, come uh, back next year. Berkeley Art Museum, Pacific <laughs> Film Archive connection, and yep. um, mm-hmm. and the um, Starry not Starry Plow. Yeah, no, um, the um, Freight and oh, Savage the, uh, right Freight there. Oh, the Freight and Savage, yes, yes. Yeah, right mm-hmm. there. And yeah. just the whole block and around the corner. <laughs> I know. And I don't know if Berkeley know. High was connected to it as well. But, yeah. you know, literally mm-hmm. it was like a literary event that you didn't want to miss. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so as long as you could talk a little bit about, about tickets and those kind yeah, of things. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, so um, all the youth programs are free. Um, and there's eight of them, and they are really, um, actually, they focus on authors of color. And um, we have involved um, an organization called Cinnamon Girls, which is based in mm. Oakland, and it's yeah. really fostering the voices of um, girls of color, mostly teenage girls. And um, they we have a program with them called Write Your Story, which um, has some uh, well-known authors mentoring them, and there's workshops, and they are interviewing the writers. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, we have um, Oleg Bemisola, if I get her name right, um, Rude Perkovich, who's a well-known um, author, and Cinnamon Girls are interviewing her. Um, we have Nobel, I'm sorry, Newberry medalist Meg Medina. She's got a, a new book called Mercy Suarez Can't Dance. And um, she's also part of that same program. That's on uh, Sunday the 9th. We have Davey D, who is a uh, sort of hip-hop scholar. Um, and he's just been part of the movement, you know, from the beginning. And he is going to appear this Sunday, actually, and again, he's interviewed by a cinnamon girl, um, Madison Harvey. Um, we also have in the youth program, all free, um, a woman who's a co-founder of We Need Diverse Books, which is a you know foundational movement in literature today. You know, particularly youth literature. And she is going to be talking with Kelly Starling Lyons, who is a member of the Brown Bookshelf, um, and that. Champion black author books for young readers. Um, and again, a cinnamon girl. <laughs> oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. It's a librarian um, who is, I'm just looking at the listing here, who is um, uh, moderating that conversation. And it's really for parents, too, you know, to sort of learn what's out there um, in terms of literature today, um, you know, for, for young people and particularly literature uh, of, by authors of color and featuring characters of color, which for years, you know, really weren't represented in literature. So so those are just some of the youth programs. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me mention one more. Um, Chef Kwame Onwachi, 
Do you know him? Mm-mm, no. Okay, he he's he was like a, a a top chef. He's you know famous sort of in you know food and wine circles. He had a memoir a couple years ago called Notes from a Young Black Chef, and mm. it chronicles his rise from um, you know living in in New York to launching this sort of really elite restaurant um, in Washington, D.C., and he had investors, and it was like one of those like super high-end, bizarre food, um, you know, it was like a $185 tasting menu, and it flopped, and, and he just like fell apart, and then he came back, and largely by creating food that was of his heritage. Um, you know, which was Afro-Caribbean, and um, he's just really remade his life. Um, you know, it was sort of the early drugs and gangs, and he went to Nigeria for a couple of years to try to get clean, and then he came back and fell apart again. And then came this rise, and then came this fall. So now he has a version of his book called Notes from a Young Black Chef for Young Adults. Um, and so that's we're interviewing him um, and by Cinnamon Girls, and that'll be on Saturday, May 1st, and that's all free. So that's the youth programs, and we have a pass for the youth programs. Again, it's completely free, but if you sign up for the pass, you get automatically sent all the links to the programs, so you don't have to, like, register for each one. You basically mm-hmm. just get them all. Um, and you would go to baybookfest.org and, you know, click around, look at the youth programs, and it tells you where to get the pass. Um, so that's the youth stuff. And, uh, by the way, the festival goes mm-hmm. from May 1st through May 9th. So we've got mm-hmm. nine days' worth of um, great stuff. So the right. adult – oh, yeah, should I tell you about the I adult guess. programs? Okay, uh, certainly. Yeah. I have a question, though. Um, so, okay, with yeah. regards to the um, uh, with regards to the the the, uh, the festival runs May first through ninth, mm-hmm. are these real time uh, presentations or I mean, and and are is it like if you miss the time you missed it, or yeah. will they be recorded and you can mm-hmm. watch it again um, as long as it's yep. within the May first through ninth? Okay. <laughs> well, actually, it's better than that. Um, we oh. all the programs are recorded, and if oh. you you know want to see it and you miss the sort of scheduled time, totally mm-hmm. no big deal. Um, the, we you do have to register, by the way, for all the programs, including the youth programs. But if mm-hmm. you register, and we have your email address, I mean that's the purpose of registering is so that we can send you the link so that then you get the link also for the recording. And that mm-hmm. will be available for 10 days after we send the recording to you, um, which is right away in the kids' programs. Most of the kids' programs are, youth programs, I should say, are um, have been pre-recorded, except for Davy D, um, which mm-hmm. is live. Um, but the rest are pre-recorded, so there is, you know, they're just available. Um, and then DVD is live that one day, and then 24 hours later, we send everyone who's registered the recording. So mm. it's and the same is the case with the adult programs. 
you know, if you want to see it, but you can't make the time, which is often the case, um, we send you the link um, so so you can watch it afterwards. Or watch it again when you're, like, doing dishes, which is one of the ways I watch a lot of stuff <laughs> these days, you know. Um, yeah. When, you, when you've got chores and things, you know, it's kind of a fun thing to do. So, yeah. yeah so, it's so hard, though you know, doing the mm-hmm. dishes and watching a program because I want to take notes and oh, yeah. and if I get my hands are wet and I can't press you right. know like I can't do stuff with my gloves mm-hmm. on or Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh, then also when I watch dishes it's, yeah. it's too it's too <laughs> noisy. Oh yeah, yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I mean, you know, I mean yeah. unless you have a few dishes, not too many. But but that's right. Oh I you know what I could do? I could wear earphones. Ear, yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that, yeah. I, you know, multitasking is really helpful. Right. Um, in oh, today totally. when we're yeah. doing we're doing all, everything online, it's just so hard to keep up. Um, I know, I know. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like we were all supposed to, you know, have a little break during the pandemic, and it's been the opposite. <laughs> you know. Oh yes, yes. I'm still <laughs> running. I'm still running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was looking yeah. at the program, the adult programs, and yes, I mm-hmm. would love for you to to talk about them. But I wanted to ask you if you could talk about them. Um, uh, you know, sort of some of the uh, like some of the titles that really uh, struck me mm-hmm. were um, the ones around you know sort of girl and woman centered. Um, yeah. Uh, like the one there's a revolutionary. Let the revolution mm-hmm. outside. Um, right. That no, that's the one you already talked about. The one on Sunday is yeah. the one I'm thinking about. Love, loss, and meaning mm-hmm. in life. World-renowned therapist. Um, oh, Urban Yalom with Yalom. Joyce Carol Oates. That looks yes. really, really awesome. And then mm-hmm. the free event, Splitting the World Open, an inter- yes. international roundtable of dangerous women writers. It's like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. that looks heck of phenomenal. Yeah, so maybe you could, if you could start yes. there and then work your way backwards sure. in the week, <laughs> that would be super. Yeah. Yeah, and then absolutely. if you could highlight, highlight any authors, you know, from the African diaspora as well, because my audience mm-hmm. is really interested in those folks. And then mm-hmm. lastly, Sorry, I'm giving you so much at once. But okay. what about books? I know you're usually connected to bookstores, independent mm-hmm. bookstores. So we'll be able to buy mm-hmm. books in some kind of way through this virtual yeah. platform? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, when you check out, whether you register for a free event, you know, the adult stuff, there's there's some free sub-ticketed. So whether you're just registering for free or you're buying a ticket, in the checkout, there's a place where you can buy the book. And um, we're using um, Green Apple Books this time, which is in San Francisco, and they have sort of worked out a system where they've discounted the book as a way of covering shipping. <laughs> so it's sent to you, um, you know, at a, at a flat rate that's reasonable um, for, you know, and you, you're buying from an independent bookstore, which is something you want to do. Or, of course, go to your local independent bookstore. You know, that's just something we want to support across the board. So, um, yeah, so you can, you can definitely buy the books. Um, yeah, let me tell you, why don't we start from the very back, which is um, that one you mentioned about the um, women, um, dangerous women writers. Um, these women are all finalists for the top literary prize in the world, um, which is the Booker Prize. And we wanted to bring them together because they write about women speaking and acting in ways that are really unconventional. 
and they tell women's stories from all over the world. Um, so Maza Mengiste um, has written a book called The Shadow King, and it's set in Ethiopia uh, at the time of the war against Mussolini. And her main character is an Ethiopian woman who wants to become and does become a warrior in, in this fight. Um, and it's amazing. So Maza lives in New York and um, has written this book really based on some of the stories of her mother, or I'm sorry, grandmother um, in Ethiopia. So she's amazing. Um, and then um, the two other authors in that program are um, Alia Trabuco Zeron, who is a Chilean writer, and she's written about um, the children of the resistance um, in Chile. Um, and, you know, again, there's like women who are speaking and um, it's interesting. She, the book in Chile became about, of course, the historical um, situation there. In the U.S., people have sort of understood it as really being a queer coming-of-age story. So, you know, so people often bring to reading, um, you know, different emphases. So that's her book. And then the last one in Those Three Women is a, it's a book called Burnt Sugar, and it's by a woman named Avni Doshi, and she's Indian. And the book is um, set in Pune in India, and it's about the daughter of a mother who was in an ashram, who was, you know, really neglectful. And it's about the girl um, sort of growing up in that environment. And it's really about kind of the mixed relationships we have with our mothers. And she then becomes a mother, and she's very ambivalent about it, which, you know, is radical for a woman to write about a woman being ambivalent about motherhood. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's really interesting uh, gathering of women, and that's completely free. Um, and this is actually co-presented by Words Without Borders, which is an organization that um, helps with translation and publication of voices from all over the world, um, which, you know, we need to hear more of. Um, you know, the world is smaller and smaller, and the U.S. has always been, of course, totally insular. Um, but more work is being published now in translation, which is what we wanted to highlight. So that's the last one. You want me to move up? Yes, please. Um, wow. This okay. Is, how do you how do you do this? I'm I'm interrupting you, but <laughs> how how do you come up with? You know, the the theme, you know, and then the mm -hmm. people, these great writers, and then you get them to say yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, well, I mean, how long does it take you to put together a festival like this? It Well, the big festival, the you know, the normal in-person festival with so many <laughs> yeah. writers takes a year, you know, to plan. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. The virtual, a little bit less just because we don't have all the logistics, and of course this one is smaller, um, it, you know, we, we're sort of part of the literary world. And when I started this festival, the, the, I started it, I had the idea like in 2013, the end of, beginning of 2013. And I didn't know anything about, I mean, I knew books, 
but I didn't know the publishing industry. I had never produced a big event. So it was really a big learning curve. And, you know, I brought in people who everybody was volunteer, of course, you know, at first, and um, who knew the industry and sort of made the connections with the publishers. We work very closely now with the publishers. We know what books are coming out in advance. And, you know, we just kind of stay on top of it. Um, And we just, you know, have a sort of sensibility, I guess, and think creatively about putting the authors together. And, you know, we we also, I think it's important that we we bring values. Um, You know, our festival is known among U.S. festivals as sort of the social justice-focused festival. So it's really been a priority to look at topics that, you know, I always say, like, matter. (laughs) You know, I mean, toward a a more just, equitable, sustainable world. So that's also been kind of a rubric for deciding which authors we present. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we do it. Well, you're doing a fabulous job. That's certain. That's for certain. And well, every thank year, you. you know, and every year, even even with you know challenging uh, circumstances, um, you know, I, I really love the Cinnamon Girl aspect of this particular mm-hmm. festival. I, I know that organization. Yeah. And that is oh, really great. really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to expand that. You know, to sort of take this um, write your story workshop um, mm-hmm. project that we're doing with Cinnamon Girls, we want to do it with other communities. So, um, you know, if anybody's out there interested in doing this with us um, or, you know, your community would love to have that, email us. at It's info at baybookfest.org. And, you know, we, we would love to hear from you. Okay. Cool, cool. All righty. Yeah. Well, I interrupted you as you were taking us through these wonderful oh. uh, programs um, for this year. Mm-hmm. So continue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, the one you mentioned, the other one, um, which is also on Sunday, the, the, the women, the Dangerous Women of Sunday Night on May 9th, which is the closing event of the festival. And that afternoon, we have this... Um, therapist, the psychiatrist named Irvin Yalom, Y-A-L-O-M, and he is, like they say, the therapist therapist. He's written, you know, a couple dozen books. He is influential worldwide. It's like you talk to any psychologist and they're like, oh, my gosh, yes, you know, Irvin Yalom. And he he's now 90, and he wrote a book with his late wife, Marilyn, um, and she was a feminist scholar, um, and she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and she insisted that she and Irv um, write a book together about the process of moving toward her death. And they alternated chapters until she died, and then he wrote about the process of his grief. And this is a man who has written books about facing death and grief, and suddenly he had his own. Um, it is an extraordinary book. And really it's about even, I think, even more than like death and grief, it's about love. 
you know, it's about the bonds that people have. And, you know, also I actually interviewed him um, after, after we decided to include him in the festival. And I asked about, like, how, how do you feel, you know, about approaching death? And he said that what he personally is experiencing and what he sort of advises people is to think about not having regrets. He said, you know, for him, he has lived the life he wants, he, you know, that he wanted. It's been fulfilling. He did the things he loved, and he has lived without regrets. So he's not afraid of death. And that really struck me. I'm like, wow, how much do I, am I going to be able to look back and think, did I live without regrets? You know, so that was that was really profound for me. Um, and he'll be talking about that. And we put him with Joyce Carol Oates, who, you know, you probably, I'm sure you know, you know, she's this phenomenal writer, many, many books, novels, and poetry, and essays, and everything. Um, she has um, experienced a lot of death of loved ones. She lost her husband of 35 years. And by the way, Irv and his wife Marilyn were married for 65 years. So Joyce lost her husband of 35 years and wrote a book called A Widow's Story, and that was about 10 years ago. She then remarried and lost her second husband about two years ago. So she really knows about grief, and she's written a lot about it and about love and about human bonds. So we thought, wow, that would be a really interesting conversation. So that one is Saturday, May 8th at 1 p.m., and it is ticketed. However, we wanted to bring this one to as many people who, you know, wanted to see it. Normally, tickets are $15. But in this case, we have a code that is CARE, C-A-R-E, and anyone who is a mother or a caretaker or simply decides, you know what, I am going to express my love for someone in my life today, gets to use the code CARE. And that's 50% off. So the event is $750. <laughs> so, so that's what we're doing with that one. So um, I have a question. So the, the word mm-hmm. CARE is a capital C-A-R-E or does yep. it matter? I don't think it matters. Okay. Yeah, but it's C A R E. Okay. And, and you the second and question is Yeah. Go ahead. Well you might you might be getting ready to answer my question, but I was wondering, is there something at Bay Books that says the code care is for mm-hmm. you have work? Okay. Yeah, if you go to that event, um which you get to by just going to our website, you know, which is baybookfest.org, and you'll see, you know, the, the programs, the schedule, and you skim down, and this event is toward the end because it's the last day of the festival. And mm-hmm. you click on it, and it talks about the code. I mean, anybody can use the code as long as you have love in your heart, which I think is everyone. <laughs> So, so everyone gets to use it. Oh, that is we so awesome! Because I just code. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead and finish, and then I'll, say, I'll say what I want to say. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say we decided to use a code rather than just sort of making the event, you know, 50% off, because we mm-hmm. wanted to sort of highlight the, the role of care, you know, of all in the last year. I mean, we have had to care for each other, and we've celebrated mm-hmm. our caregivers, and, you know, we've also lost so many people. So we just wanted to highlight the fact of love and care, which I think we, you know, recognize consciously more than um, usual over the past year. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and and people are still losing loved ones. Um, yes. So, and even without a pandemic, loss is a part of mm-hmm. life because, you know, there's yep. that cycle, you know, death and rebirth yeah. and death yeah. and rebirth. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and it seems thematically, care is a really conscious aspect of the programming for your seventh um, annual mm-hmm. event. Yeah, 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 definitely. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, how lovely. Um, so, did, were there any other programs that um, that you were going to highlight? Um, yeah, that are part of the week. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, there's two that I think um, are featured authors of uh, black authors, um, and the first one I'll jump to the very beginning of the festival. Um, this one is ticketed. It's um, Nobel laureate Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, some of you might have heard about his book called Clara and the Sun, and it's about um, an artificial friend, so to speak, you know, like a robot, but years in the future made to be like a friend. And we're interviewing, and and Yajiasi is in conversation with him. And she wrote Homegoing, which I'm sure you know about, I mean, looked at sort of the legacy of slavery on into current times. Um, she's amazing. And she has a, a recent book um, called mm. Transcendent Kingdom. Mm. Sort of the, uh, like the, the connection between emotion and science and conditioning. And we thought that she would be fantastic. And Kazuo Ishiguro wanted to talk with a woman of color. Um, and Yaji Asu was already in our minds as someone who would be a great conversation partner with him. And what's interesting mm-hmm. about Ishiguro, I mean, he's, you know, this big, famous Nobel laureate. But when he does a conversation for like an event like this, he ends up asking the person supposedly interviewing him about their book and, you know, their experience almost as much as he talks about his. So I think we're going to learn a lot about Yah. And, you know, the theme of the conversation is really about what makes us human. You know, I mean, Ishiguro's book is about sort of the limits of this artificial friend who is powered by artificial intelligence, you know, versus the human heart. Um, so anyway, that's, that's, that is Sunday afternoon on May 2nd, um, and what, it's what, at 1 p.m. What, what time? 1 p.m. You know, I'm going to interrupt you really. 
I'm going to interrupt sure. you really quickly again. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be so phenomenal. My, my niece, mm-hmm. who is now um, uh, in, in, um, uh, in, in college at in St. Paul, she, mm-hmm. uh, one of her final um, writing assignments was, was um, the book Homecoming by uh, oh, Yah yeah. uh, yeah, C. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, and I love that book and I didn't know she had a new one. Like, oh my goodness. Um, yes. can we, can you yes. tell us what the new one's about? Like, you know, briefly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I read it when it first came out and it's mm. about a, um, a girl, a woman who is of, I think it's Ghana that her mm-hmm. mother came, her, her mother is from Ghana and comes to visit her, and yet the mother is hugely depressed and, like, hardly leaves her room. And the, the room in the apartment of the daughter, and I can't remember her name right now, and the daughter is a scientist um, who is studying behavior. And she has these mice in a lab, and she is um, looking at conditioning, like how we react to um, trauma, how we, um, you know, to negative stimuli, you know, in scientific terms. And it's, it's about sort of her mother coming back to feeling and about just sort of the behavior of um, the, the mice and about the protagonist sort of coming into her own um, I don't know, emotional, you know, making, she's also been kind of um, like, uh, what's the word, sort of emotionally numbed, and it's about all of them kind of coming to life, and in a way, stopping this experiment with these mice of just, like, triggering them, you know? So it's it's really interesting. It's very complicated, and it's not direct. It's not like this sort of obvious book. It but it makes you think, and it sort of reverberates. Um, so it's it's really good. It's very thought provoking. Oh, it sounds awesome! I loved Homecoming. I recommend it. Yeah, highly. <laughs> yeah, oh, what yeah. a wonderful um, you know aspect of of your your work as a festival a book festival. Um, you know, um, convener and producer is that like you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. Oh, I get to know about the books before they're published. I mean, before they're released. Yes, I'm like, I know. whoa, that's like living in one of the best parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Can I highlight one more? I know. I don't know how long oh. we have, but. Oh, yeah, yeah please. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you, you're able to stay on for a little bit longer. Yeah, I started the program an hour later, so we're going until 11. Um, not that you have to be oh, with okay. me until 11. <laughs> okay, yeah, I do have a meeting at 1030, but we can talk a little bit more, so which is great. Okay. Yeah, so we have a program. Um, do you know Nanetti Okorafor? Yes. You know her? Yes. Yes, but, but, yeah. tell, but tell, her, tell our audience about her. Okay, yeah, she's like a superstar. Um, and she has, uh, what is the name of the series? I know that the latest book, which is Remote Control, mm-hmm. do you know the name of the full series? Uh, it'll come no. to me. Or, or look, it look it up right now. <laughs> she is, the, like the, you know, the Marvel Comics 
Um, you know, she she writes for them. She's written this series, which is sort of sci-fi, and it's really about not Afrofuturism, which is a title she rejects, but African mm-hmm. futurism, and you know, yeah. really coming out of Africa, you know, as opposed to the African diaspora. Um, and mm-hmm. she's Nigerian, and she involves Nigerian myths and history in these really wild renderings of sort of imagined, um, you know, speculative versions of the future. And so Remote Control, her her latest novel, I mean, you know, death is a character. It's just very mythical and profound. And she is now... I, her her work is being um, made into films by HBO and series by Hulu. So she is just one of the hottest things, the hottest writers um, <laughs> working today. So she yeah. is going to be talking with a guy named Jeff Vandermeer, who is also a huge sci-fi legend. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be fantastic. I mean, just looking at sort of visions of the future. Um, and Nanetti comes from a place that is so new to speculative fiction um, that we really, you know, need to hear her voice. So she was a top priority of a person mm. to be in the festival this year. Oh, yeah, what a treat. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Friday, May 7th, 6 p.m. Pacific yep. time. It's so nice that Pacific mm-hmm. time is, is getting... Um, so you know we are we are the standard as opposed to having to you know Eastern time. What does that mean in Pacific time? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, we make those folks stay up later. You know, <laughs> watch our program. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you find because I'm I'm looking her up and I'm not certain um, what you're referencing. There's just so much on her, so I'm not certain. Yeah. Um, what the um, uh, you said HBO series that you mentioned? Um, yeah, HBO and Hulu. Um, yeah. I don't know this. i do not sure which of her works. Um, I am just also yeah. very quickly. Because she, um, yeah. she got the, um, you know, Wallace and Yinka Prize for Literature in Africa, and that's, mm-hmm. that's really an esteemed, um, you know, um, recognition. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember the Benty Tales and... Yeah, that's what um, I was thinking about. Exactly. The details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, quite quite a different take on on the mm-hmm. whole um, you know, storytelling um in a different yeah. way. Yeah, African yeah. um futurism. Yeah. Yeah, and then, mm-hmm. you know, her anthology Dark Matter, Reading the Bones. I just love that title. <laughs> mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're a fan. That's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen her. A friend of mine, uh, Dr. Kim McMillan, um, uh, she she hosted a series of conversations on um, Afrofuturism and had some folks that are like, "Oh my gosh, you really want to be in the room?" That was. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm thinking. Um, I'm thinking that was last year, um, but mm-hmm. I'm, I, I get I get kind of mixed up on 2020 because. It was yeah. all in my head, so I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I know. Like, did that happen, like, for real, or was that 2019? Cause, right. Because, you know, when everything is virtual, um, mm-hmm. your life becomes virtual. Like, you're not you're not grounded. 
Yeah. So I have to really yeah, it's check not in the body. Back, like, oh yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So um wow, this is this is, you know, such a gift. Thank you so much. You and your your team. Who are your team? Because I know you didn't do this all by yourself. Oh gosh, no. Are you kidding? Um yeah, well, um, it's a you know it's a pretty stable team at this point, which is wonderful. Um, we have you know who's the managing director is a woman named um, Sammy Roberts. I think you might know her. She created the um, Art and Soul Festival in oh, Oklahoma. Um, wow! Yeah. Nice. yeah. So she has a lot of experience in producing events, which of course you know we're not having the in-person festival right now, but that's something that she has led um, along with her partner um, co-created the Heart of the Town Festival. So she's been Mm -hmm. a central part of it. Um, You know, we have a program director, we have a webmaster, we have marketing people, um, you know, what else? Um, (laughs) You know, lots of folks. I mean, we have video producers now. So it really does. You know, the cliché is it takes a village, but sometimes clichés are there for a reason. So it's it's a lot of people. Um, you know, and it's, I have to just say, it is not easy to sustain. You know, we have individual donors, and we have a couple foundations, um, and um, we get some sponsors, which is great. It's not like we are you know, a sports event that, like, draws, you know, a million people that you get these big high-end sponsors for. Um, You know, we're literary, but we do draw a really thoughtful, engaged crowd of people. Um, So, you know, that's kind of how we've made ends meet. Um, You know, in this past year, we've really received some of the covid Survival grants. Um, the city of Berkeley has been helpful. They've supported us. Um, they really are committed to the arts, actually, in Berkeley, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we are, you know, we're hanging in there. I mean, I remember last year when we had to cancel the festival, I really thought, like, how are we going to survive? You know, we lost all this money and we had already spent a lot in planning. <laughs> the festival so we I actually thought about well should we just sort of let it go you know like you Mm -hmm. said there have been these festivals in past years that just didn't survive and honestly I know why because I know those people it was because the planners got burned out because it takes so much work to put on a big event like this and money you know just raising the money to keep it going so I thought, well, should we just be another, you know, footnote in history? But then I just realized, oh, my gosh, I'll miss it so much, <laughs> you know. And I have such a great team and all these amazing authors, you know, like the ones that we've talked about today. You know, I want to get to know them. I want to hear them. Um, so we all just decided to keep on at it. Um, and, you know, needless to say, the pandemic has gone on a lot longer than we all expected. So I'm glad that we, we just kept it, kept it alive. We are, we are really happy that you did as well. And could you give our audience um, information about um, the, uh, the Bay Area Book Festival again? And, and also, um, mm-hmm. can 
people register for this evening's celebration of uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti um, from 5.30 to 6.30 from your website, or do they have to go? I don't um, think so. They okay. they should, um, oh, gosh, what yeah. is I, the it's, link? It's through, uh, it's through the Chronicle, It's through the it? Chronicle, right. Right, right. Yes, yes. and I and I, I link to it um, on my website okay. as well. Great, great, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the best place then, or you know, I'm sure sfchronicle.com probably has a link, you know, in front of their paywall is my guess. Um, mm-hmm. So so for the festival, you would go to baybookfest.org, and you can find everything there. We, um, like I said, there's a, a sort of there's some programs for adults that are free, including the opening one on Saturday night is a um, Sikh activist um, named Valerie Kaur, and she really has worked against hate crimes. And she mm-hmm. is going to be um, the opening speaker, and that's free on Saturday night, May 1st. So that one's free. The one we talked about with the women, um, Dangerous Women Writers, that's free. There's a couple of others that are free, and then the rest are mostly $15, or you can get a pass if you want to see, you know, more than like three. It's worthwhile to get a pass, three or four. Um, And Mm -hmm. then you are just automatically registered for everything, so you don't have to sign up for particular events, um, and, um, you know, you're supporting the festival. So you can go either way, um, you know, individual tickets or pass, or just check out the free ones, you know. Um, so kind of whatever works. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much for this really wonderful conversation. We haven't spoken, I, I'm trying to think, I know we spoke um, on the first hand, first, you know, when you were. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> that was seven years ago. That's right. And, that's and right. I don't yeah. know if we've spoken since then. I mean, I definitely mm-hmm. um, pitched it, you know, to our audiences um, over mm-hmm. the years. But um, yeah, you. it's really nice to touch bases. And yeah. yeah, congratulations that you all decided to to continue and just to Thank adapt as, as we do so well as Thank artists. You. Well, yeah. <laughs> we all we all are. We all are. I mean, you know, in some ways, it's been easier for us than like restaurants. You know, or, you know, all these people working in service industries. I mean, you know, we get to do this more or less from our home, and we can do it virtually. So, you mm-hmm. know, we're really fortunate compared to a lot of others. Um, so, you know, to the degree we can present literature and writers that help people keep going, um, you know, that's something we're trying to do. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. take good care, and I uh, look forward Thank to seeing you, you um, tonight and for the rest of the festival. When it begins Thank on you so the much. first. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, you Talking with care. you. Thanks again, Wanda. Good talk okay, to you as bye-bye. well. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. So I want to um, let everyone know I just learned about this when I was listening to um, uh, to the evening news on KPFA on Monday that April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and this is the 20th annual event uh 20, 20th and 20th annual um you know opportunity for us to reflect on how we can make safe spaces for our women and girls 
um, particularly our black women and girls who are at the higher numbers of those being assaulted um, through sexual violence. And the theme this year is we can build safe online spaces. And so I wanted to uh, to share this with everyone. And I actually had a phone number for people to call to be able to get support. And I am, like, not sure where I wrote that. Um, let's see, find resources. But if you go to the website, nsrc.org um, forward slash SAM, S-A-A-M, um, NS. BRC stands for the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and and SAM stands for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So, um, so I wanted to uh, to give give you that information, and you can go to the website to um, to find out about resources, both national and local, so that we can anyone who is at risk can find um, resources, and anyone. Who wants to provide resources can also, um, you know, get in that database if you are not already there. And we are looking for uh, some, some folks to um, to talk with us in the studio live on Friday. So stay tuned for that. I'm still pulling together that particular panel. Um, so again, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and this year, the 20th anniversary of the National Sexual Violence Resource Center is we can build safe online spaces because, um, yeah, a lot of people are being um, uh, uh, being abused via the online platform before COVID-19. But now since this is our major, our majority, um, now that this is our major way of connecting with one another, um, People need to be really careful, and parents need to be really careful, and educators need to be really careful about what's happening uh, with our youth and how to keep them safe. So with that said, I'm going to rebroadcast an interview that I had with uh, Don Monique Williams, who is Associate Director at the Aurora Theater, and Michael J. Asbury, um, who is um, an actor who is no stranger to Aurora Theater, um, in this production of The Bluest Eye, and it is adapted from Lydia R. Diamond's play. And this particular work is a radio play, and it uh, it extends through May 21st. And there actually is a code that I don't know right at the moment where you can get half off. Darn it. <laughs> but don't, no worries. If you look at, if you look at the... Description for for today's show. I will put the code in there, but I want to start right right away with this interview, which was simply phenomenal. So um, so sit back and uh, you know drink your tea and just be um, uh, you know uh, I guess um, you're in store for a really wonderful conversation with the director who has a marvelous vision uh, about this particular work, and then you know. Get your ticket, and you will be able to experience this this beautiful work. Uh, all black cast, all black uh, production, um, and c- creative team. You know, from the the sound design, the sound design is 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 outstanding. Oh my goodness, it is 
it is they're going to be getting awards for this particular work. It is so 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 wonderful, you know. And of course, you know the actors and are are just you know that Don invited to be a part of this particular um, this particular work that they recreate for us, you know, in the studio um, via via Zoom because you know people weren't meeting earlier this year in in um, in public spaces and they still aren't. Like our theaters have not opened their doors uh, yet, so so to be able to have an experience like the one that you are going to have once you get your tickets is is quite remarkable. Um, but folks are doing it, and this story is a real important one, particularly when we think about Sexual Assault Awareness Month, the twentieth anniversary, and we think about how to make the world and particularly public spaces safe for Black girls, intimate spaces safe for black girls and women um, uh, who are um, at at higher risk for these types of violations. So, again, uh, it's National Sexual Violence Aware, uh, Resource Center's Sexual Assault Awareness Month for the month of April. This eye, yeah, Toni Morrison's bluest eye adapted uh, for the stage by Lydia R. Diamond and directed in this uh Iteration, which is going to be, um, uh, Don, how would you characterize it? Is, is it a radio play? <laughs> I, I would characterize it as a radio play, yes. I think that's the best mm-hmm. way. I mean, we, we're calling it an audio drama, but for anybody that um, remembers radio plays, that's what it is. Right, yeah. And this particular, um, uh, I guess, uh, I guess iteration of the work, um, it's really, really reads so beautifully. I can hardly wait to see what you all have done with it. Yeah, Lydia did a great job on this adaptation. It's mm-hmm. quite faithful to um, Morrison's language while at the same time kind of um, making some powerful choices to essentialize the story and really focus in on the three young girls. Um, it's so beautiful what Lydia's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well, Wanda. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. It's so nice to hear your voice. It's been years, it feels like. It has. Been a, <laughs> it, has. it actually has. It's been a good long time since I heard your voice. So mm-hmm. good to hear from you again. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to um, I'm going to read your bios, and then we could talk about um, the uh, the presentation of The Bluest Eye um, at the Aurora, which opens um today. <laughs> and yes, um, it it continues through May twenty first. You got a nice long run too. We do. We do. Mhm. So we'll start with you, Don. So Don Monique Williams uh joined the Aurora team as associate artistic director in August twenty nineteen. A native of Oakland, California, uh Don was previously the artistic associate at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, where she directed Mary Wives of Windsor in 2017. Her recent directing credits include Aurora's Bull in a China Shop, Lauren Gunderson's The Half-Life of Marie Curie, Theater Squared, Letters to Kamala, um, American Stage Company, Earthrise Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, Moon Man Walk, Tajin and his brothers, A Midsummer Night's Dream, American Conservatory Theater, MFA program, and audio version of Lynn Nottage's 
Lass uh, Meninas, the Secretaries, Profile Theater, uh, Willamette Week's Top Ten Portland Theater Productions of 2018, Romeo and Juliet, Chautauqua Theater. You are so busy, have been so busy. <laughs> <laughs> August Wilson's a piano lesson, La Petite, and what is that? Is UNCO, is that the university or something? University of Northern Colorado, yeah. Okay, all right. Lynn Nottages, by the way, meets uh, meet Stark, Douglas Morrison, and uh, University of Colorado, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Town Hall. Uh, you've directed a range of plays, including the English language premiere of Grace Morales's NN12, Othello, Twelfth Night in the Blood, Steel Magnolias, Children of Eden, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Little Shop of Horrors, Burial at Thebes, Medea, uh, Antigone Project, and LaRonda International directing credits include Edinburgh Festival Fringe, productions of Scapin or Scapin, Scaping, is Scaping mm-hmm. or Scapin? Scapin the Cheat, uh-huh. <laughs> um, Annabella uh, Ema, Ema. Mm-hmm. and The Tempest. Williams was a 2016 Princess Grace Theater Fellowship recipient. Uh, you were awarded a TCG, a leadership uh, U residency grant funded by the Mellon Foundation, and you were a former Killian Directing Fellow at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. You are an alumna of the Drama League Directors Project, and you hold an MA in Dramatic Literature and an MFA in directing, uh, and you really love directing, according to what we just said. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a proud member of the SDC. What does that stand for? That's SDC. the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union. Oh, okay, that's important. Um, and the, Oh, that's what it tells me here, right. Duh. Okay, got it. <laughs> and um, Michael... Uh, Jay Asbury, Daddy, and Soaphead, and Charlie. <laughs> um, is Charlie, is, is that is that how you pronounce um, that uh, the last character's name? Is it Charlie or Charlie? Charlie. Mm-hmm. Charlie. Okay. Um, you returned mm-hmm. to the Aurora, where you were last seen in 2019's Exit Strategy and 2008 right. Satellites. I saw you in Satellites. <laughs> um, he most recently appeared in um, Las Meninas with Profile Theater. So you all were in the same production. Um, you yes, as director, Donald. Yes. Okay, right. Well, that's cool. Was that your first time working together? Um, I think that was our first time working directly together. Yeah, we worked together, I think, three, two or three times since then. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and, Michael, you've also performed with the San Francisco Mime Troupe, um, Best of Playground Festival, Zoom Fest. Uh, oh, that must be recent because Zoom is recent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was within the last okay. year. As a matter of fact, I think that was my first uh, gig during the pandemic. So, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sacramento Theater Company, uh, Capitol Stage Company, San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, Pacific Conservatory Theater, Theater Works, Shogun Players, and the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Film and television credits include uh, San Andreas, 
Warren, uh, Warner Brothers, um, Chance, Hulu, Trauma, NBC, Nash Bridges, CBS, and voiceover for Pixar Animation, Clorox Pine Soil. I love the smell of pine soil. And the video game, Watch Dogs, too. <laughs> Well, again, welcome, welcome. So let's talk about The Bluest Eye. And um, as director, um, and I don't know if you have anything to do with programming, Don, but why did you all want to bring The Bluest Eye to the stage, not or to the audio, to, to the radio uh, drama um, today and now? Uh, I just think about, and you couldn't have, you couldn't have necessarily anticipated it, but you could have given the um what's been going on in our country since we've been in you know sort of uh, sheltering in place and distancing for over a year now because uh, I think okay. about what the CDC director you know just just announced around racism uh as a um a serious public health threat like yes. okay it's about time <laughs> yeah. right. and this work and this work well, um, I, I am a part of the season planning process at Aurora um, in my role mm-hmm. as Associate Artistic Director, and we were looking at this play before the pandemic and certainly before the shutdown. So we mm-hmm. had uh, programmed Blue Sky to be part of a staged in-person live season, and, and that came to be because we were talking about, you know, classics, um, and, you know, Aurora, you know, Aurora isn't known for, like, Shakespeare, so not that kind of classic, um, but, you know, importance of being earnest, and they've done some Strindberg and stuff like that, and so Josh, the artistic director, said, well, you know, what about novels that have been made into plays? And, and you know, I think everybody needs to expand their thinking around what is a classic. If Toni Morrison has not provided us with American classics, I don't know what author really has. So I shared this adaptation with Josh, naming that it's my favorite stage adaptation of a novel, and he really liked it, so we programmed it. Then mm-hmm. the shutdown happened. We had to reconceive all of our programming, and honestly, um, I wasn't sure if Bluest Eye was the thing we should stick with because of um, the violence that was happening against black bodies. Uh, Breonna Taylor was murdered at home in her bed, and I just was mm-hmm. like, we... Um, don't necessarily want to perpetuate more stories of trauma uh, within the black community. But the more I sat with the story and the more I was in the news last summer and hearing more and more about other uh, black women and black sims being murdered, being the victims of violence, I thought, uh, no, this story is messy and it, it is traumatic and it is complicated, but we need to tell it because we are not telling enough stories of black women and girls. We just simply are not. And I want to correct that. Um, so, uh, so we moved forward in conceiving of a way to do it as an audio drama, and we had to get permission to do so from the playwright and from the Tonia Morrison estate, so that took some time. But I'm really glad that we um, moved forward with this piece, but, but there was a lot of thought involved in, in doing so given the content. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And Michael, what what made you want to um, uh, be a part of this production, and in particular uh, to portray um, this, this these characters, but specifically Daddy? 
Uh, well, the daddy role is not really a stretch for me of uh, being a daddy, uh, but um, <laughs> it's it's such a uh, powerful and poignant story, and the perspective uh, coming from these uh, young girls is one that I think is sorely lacking in uh, in our culture, uh, in the society at large. And so, uh, and also, I wanted to work with Dawn, and I had I've been following her career before I had met her, and um, and I knew that she was a a. Uh oh. Oh. I wonder oh, if we right. he, he dropped. He he dropped. Oh, oh. he'll call back. Oh, yeah, darn. I'm sure he will. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because this this it happened before. Okay. Oh well, darn. Um, yeah, yeah. I just love these. Oh, there's there. Um, there's my Yeah, you're back. Yeah, you're back. Yes. But anyway, I was saying that I was following her career, and I knew that she was a very talented and gifted uh, director. And so, working with her was certainly was a um, was something I was looking forward to the opportunity to do. But it's such mm-hmm. a wonderful story; it's so beautifully written. And though it is harsh and um, at, diffi- at times really difficult to uh, to process, it's mm-hmm. it's real and it's honest and it's truthful, and uh, it's a story that I could certainly. Uh, connect to and relate to, and uh, I think that it's got enough uh, beauty and joy and um, uh, uh, encouragement within the uh, difficult elements to uh, sustain a a beautifully told story. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. I just think about, you know, our beloved Toni Morrison um, and... uh, yeah, she. I don't know. Has it been? Has it been three years now that she's made her transition? That she moved into the I next some, realm? Somewhere around there, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming yeah, up on yeah. it. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and that beautiful film that came out right before she passed, which was, you know, just a slice of her life, not the whole life, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. very, very, very well done. And uh, yeah, yeah, she. Um, uh, her work, this particular work, which was her first her first book published, right? Yes, yes, it was her debut novel, and it turned fifty one mm-hmm. this year. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. last year was the fiftieth anniversary. This year is the fifty first. Whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. and how she how she didn't tell anybody that she had published a book and it was on another. And she was working for a publisher. That story is so funny, and. Right. Uh, and and how it was published, you know, she didn't even tell anyone. She was doing her writing over here on the side and, and doing her day job over there. And then it's like how, you know, someone's like, well, this is really good. Uh, you should let us publish you. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that relationship that there's developed a, there's a great with her editor after that. Mm-hmm. There's a really good documentary yeah. on her life on uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Pieces I Am. Oh, it's a, really, really good. Yeah, that's the one I'm speaking of. Yeah, Pieces mm-hmm. That I Am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in that particular work, she talks about the white gaze. And maybe you could talk about, you know, this this, this really uh, beautiful child, Pecola, and and her little friends. 
and you know who are telling the story and 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 then the the primer that really sort of uh it kind of documents her life or the life that she doesn't have the life of mm-hmm. you know the 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 dominant culture that she is not a part yes. of and she's like just watching she's just watching everybody yes yeah mm-hmm. uh, picola is quite a fascinating character um, I, you know, I'll back up just a little bit to, you know, Toni Morrison was famous for saying, um, if there are stories that you want to see that you that don't exist, write them. And so she wrote Bluest Eye from that standpoint. She actually grew up in Lorain, Ohio, which is the setting uh, of, the, of the novel and subsequent play. And, and she talks about knowing, you know, having grown up with a young girl who, who really desperately wanted blue eyes. Um, and so I I think for her, Picola was real. Um, the, and this idea, I mean, the white gaze, how damaging it really can can be um, to have these, these single stories, to have this primer with Jane, and Jane's life looks like this, and then that's reified by Shirley Temple on the TV. Um, and so Picola really hates <laughs> herself, which is so unfortunate because, she is a, a bright and precocious and resilient little girl who's mm-hmm. taking on a lot in her, you know, very young life. Um, and, you know, the counterpoint to that is, of course, Claudia and Frida, her her mm-hmm. friends, her, her, her sort of surrogate sisters, these young girls that befriend her, that she lives with for a spell, um, who come from uh, a family that is warm and nurturing and full of love, um, even though there's still sternness and discipline, uh, it's just a very different childhood that these other two girls are experiencing. And and what Lydia's done in the play is really focus in on on the on those two counterpoints. Um, and you know the message feels quite clear: the need to um, to protect black girls and to create spaces for black children to be black children and not to um, have them not see themselves reflected for not stop giving them white dolls, you know, um, Mm -hmm. stop giving them (laughs) heroes that don't, that don't look like Mm -hmm. them. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like what happens to that doll that, um, one of, uh, (laughs) Cola's, uh, friends gets for a present. This this like blonde hair, blue eyed doll that (laughs) is not appreciated. (laughs) <laughs> Neither yeah. is Shirley Temple dance with Bojangles that's, either. That's a great scene. That's one. That's one way to put that. Yeah, not appreciated. I love how you put that. <laughs> not appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Claudia is played wonderfully by Janae Simon um, in this oh. audio production, and this okay. moment Lydia captures in the play, and, and Janae makes such good work of it. It's, it's such a uh, beautifully. Um, uh, done moment, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and it. I think it reveals the interiority that so many of us uh, wrestle with that maybe we only talk about um, in in our inner circles. Um, so mm-hmm. I hope people really hear it the the harm that can be caused um, when you remove people's reflection of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. 
And and I think a similar, you know, looking at at your character, uh, Michael Choley, uh, uh, um, as a boy, when when the person who raised him, you know, is no longer present, and and sort of like, okay, well, that's like, you know, he he's young, so he hadn't been able to develop an interior, but he was found on a trash heap. Right. I mean, that right. must. I mean, yep. he knows that. I mean, it's like one thing to be found on one, another thing for somebody like to include that in the lore. That is your life, and you think, well, nobody wanted me, and the person that wanted yeah, me little... now she's gone. It's like, well, what do you do with that? Insofar as having a positive self-image. Yeah, from the moment Charlie uh, arrives on the scene, he is uh, he mm-hmm. experiences trauma. You know, from being left on a mm-hmm. junk heap to being. Uh, to losing the person that took him in, to not having any guidance or uh, direction, and that basically colors and um, uh, moves his life. And it's mm-hmm. a really difficult, harsh road for him to travel. And it, it's hard to uh, to read. It's hard to do. And um, but it's it's real. It happened. It has happened to so many people. And mm-hmm. uh, finding the truth the truth in that uh, was an interesting journey. And it's, uh, I think it's a powerful uh, character uh, that she has written into this story. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I mean, she, uh, you know, the way that, that we encounter this character in the work, um, he's not like he has depth. And we don't, like, right. throw him away. Oh, he is just like a... Uh, what do you call like a figure that's not developed? That's a bad guy. Right. There's reason right. for this this person, yeah. this character to, to to have developed into the husband and father that he is. That's right. Yeah, there's no excuses yeah. for his behavior, which is uh, abhorrent. Mm-hmm. No. But, yes, uh, they but are. There is an explanation. Mm-hmm. There is that is there is an explanation. He didn't just <clears throat> you know set out to be that way. He was. Uh, mm-hmm. There are there are clear. Uh, reasons that we can point to for how things turn out the way that they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and then I was thinking, um, both of you, just some of these uh, tangible references around cold and heat, sticks and cold. You know, um, <laughs> you know, just just not having, just not being able to be warm, and mm-hmm. and then also, you know, the the uh, the theme of migration, moving. And not having uh, a warm, you know, like family. You know, when when Mrs. Breedlove talks about moving north and and how she left everyone behind, because even if she's not yeah. the most beautiful person on the screen, the people that loved her saw beauty. Yeah. But when she moves, she's just an ugly black woman with an ugly black child. Yes. Yes, and the isolation, right, of being alone mm-hmm. in this yeah. new place. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, um, I, I love, Wanda, that you bring up how cold and heat is operating in the text. And, and of course, Lydia incorporates that um, in the play quite, quite nicely. And there's a whole section of the play where they talk about, you know, outdoors and what it means yes. to be displaced and living outdoors. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, even a sample, like one of our teasers that we shared in our promotion um, last week was of Michael as daddy teaching the girls how to cut wood for fire in that yes. juxtaposition 
again, if here's these two young girls who are learning a life skill, learning how to have heat, as you say, how to stay mm-hmm. warm how versus stay warm. Nicola, who is outdoors, who does not have that protection, that shelter. Nobody's teaching her how to make fire, and we know fire is one of the key elements for sustained life, right? With fire, you have industry, you have tools, you have, you have food. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, the metaphor of fire is a rich one and goes um, goes very deep. Um, and I love that um, that that even that you just even picked up on that and brought that up because, of course, the play takes us through the seasons. So we also move through the fall and the winter, um, and then we arrive, you know, in the summer. But by the time we get to the summer, um, our hopes have changed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so we starting, you know, starting with the cold. How do you how do you win? You know, when you already start from that place um, and had she told the story in a different order, had we started in summer, maybe the results would have been different, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you know, the things that Piccola notices, you know, like the dandelions, you know, and she sees beauty in the weed. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that yeah. it takes other people telling her that a dandelion is a weed, and therefore should not be regarded, that is what changes her mind. Um, mm-hmm. And that ultimately is the same thing that had happened to Mrs. Breedlove, right? Like in my imagination, Mrs. Breedlove is a perfectly attractive woman, like perfectly mm-hmm. fine, but she's not Jean Harlow, right? She's not these mm-hmm. white women in the movies. Um, and so, you know, the, the story talks about this incident of her losing a tooth and how that sort of, becomes the yeah. final, uh, you know, uh, breaking point for her. Um, and it's that it took somebody else to say you're ugly, and then it becomes internalized. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because that's in all of us, right? And if we, don't, if we don't have people helping us with the esteem, if we don't have people offering that affirmation to us from an early age, we might internalize um, the the negative. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Morrison was was driving to in writing the novel in the first place, right? The societal ills, the harms we mm-hmm. cause when, right. when we don't yeah. tell yeah. when we don't tell everyone's story robustly. Mhm. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, Michael, if you could reflect on you know, daddy versus the other father. Um, they're such a different mm-hmm. person. Um, you know, oh, yeah. daddy has two daughters and a wife. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love, I love the. Um, I remember the Vicks vapor rub. I don't think my mother put it in my mouth. <laughs> I saw, but I saw people do that, and they say they say it's not for consumption. I believe on the back of that thing, uh, that uh, container, that jar. Yes, I, they thought it was like yuck. I have had Vicks vapor rub in my mouth, and I can confirm that it is not for consumption. And uh, <laughs> but it is a, it, it is a thing. <laughs> it is a thing that uh, many Southern parents did, and so uh, mm-hmm. I, I I remember being really tickled and amused uh, during that particular scene. But yes, there's a there's a huge contrast between the uh, the two characters, uh, the, all three characters actually, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moving in between them is, uh, is is that was a chore, but uh, because mm. I saw the 
the truth and the uh, what's so genuine about each one of them. Uh, that's what I was able to find in trying to uh, play them and you know bring them uh, to the mic. I guess that's the kind of bring them to the stage of the screen <laughs> to bring them to the microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us about Soaphead. Soaphead uh, also has had a uh, fair share of trauma in his life, but the way that he chose to address his is to direct it all into a spiritual and religious uh, direction. And so that's how he chose to address his trauma, and it um, dictates how he relates to people and moves and moves within his life, uh, as, as opposed to Charlie, who was so traumatized that he had no, there was no sense of direction, and he didn't seek that. But Sopher found it, uh, was fortunate to find some sense of direction in religion, uh, whether it's misguided or not is for the listener to uh, determine. But um, <laughs> that is the way that he chose to uh, to navigate his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, um, you know, thematically, going back to um, what you have raised, uh, Don, around the fire element, and I was thinking about alcohol as as fire, water, and um, and then when you were talking about not seeing ourselves represented um, in in the dominant discourse or larger society in a positive way, I was thinking about um, the uh, um, <clears throat> the notion of how we we come to know ourselves through the reflection that of of or affirmation of ourselves of our of our self image. So if we don't if we are not affirmed, you know, by other then then we don't exist. Uh we exist as the ref- as the projection says we are. And um so the social construct is really really important and that's why um you know we have um Claudia is able to even have another um, another perception of this doll because she's yes. in a an, because she is in a family that loves her so because otherwise how would she know <laughs> you know that yeah. that she wasn't the doll <laughs> you know that she right. had this this identity outside of this thing that doesn't look like anybody in her family mm-hmm. yes I love, and and um, Claudia talks about this, right, her clarity that white people, mm-hmm. uh, white girls in particular, are treated differently, and that she understood that from a very young age. I mean, Claudia in the story, right, starts at nine years, nine years old, and she already has mm-hmm. this um, understanding. Um, mm-hmm. But she's able to say that because she's in a household where she knew she was loved. You know, she talks about, the again, the warm hands the warm mm-hmm. hands of her parents, um, when, you know, when her mother gives her that big style. Um, so, um, so I, I mean, this is, this is, I've been calling it a triumph, and it is through Claudia's lens that I can say that it's a triumph because Claudia becomes the storyteller. She's the culture bearer. She can bring it mm-hmm. forward. She's the, she is the proof, the evidence, that when we understand that our value does not exist, in <laughs> whiteness, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. then we then we can uh, persevere. Um, yeah, Michael, uh, you were going to say something. 
I was. Um, uh, you kind of put it all together uh, for me, but um, I was just going to say that Claudia's ability to have that perspective stands in such stark contrast to Picola's self-image, and uh, it brought to mind the scene where Picola goes into the Yabakowski store, and she expresses how she is she's invisible, that he doesn't even realize that she's there. He looks at her, but doesn't even connect to her as being present, and um, so she feels completely invisible, like nobody's paying attention to her at all, whereas Claudia is able to understand how she is perceived and understand the difference and uh, rebelling against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, who would you say the audience is for, for this production? Who would you like to see um, um, in the studio listening? Wow, um, I mean, that's a deep question. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, my first response is like, I did it for the culture. <laughs> right, so, right, um, right. I would love to 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 share this um, with our inner circles, with our family, with people who have this um, this deep personal resonance with it. People that will will. Say, oh my gosh, yes! I like how Michael shared. Like, yeah, I had the VIX <laughs> put in my <laughs> mouth um, mm-hmm. for people who maybe had that feeling watching Bojangles dance with Shirley Temple. Like, something about that's not right. Um, and and for anybody who ever had a moment of feeling like they needed blue eyes or long hair, straight hair, you know, mm-hmm. blonde hair, whatever, um, to then feel affirmed in knowing that like you don't you don't need any of that. Um, but I also, not but, and I also hope that um, Morrison, Tony Morrison fans of all walks of life and, and races and creeds would give it a listen as an appreciation for this classic American tale that is now in its 51st year. Um, and this is such a superb, fine cast of local Bay Area talent. It's Aurora's first all black play. Really? Um, really. It is yeah. Aurora's first all black cast and black creative. Ah. So um, the oh. sound designer is Elton Bradman, who I think is a local legend. He's designed many, many shows um, mm-hmm. locally here in the Bay Area. Um, and we even had a um, black woman, Elisa Muscol, as our stage manager with us on the journey. So um, so we really, to to the best of our ability um, on that endeavor, tried to create a black space that held affinity for the artists in the project so that we could be honest and vulnerable with one another so that we could rise to the challenge of this work and not feel mm-hmm. like we were under the white gaze. So, um, so, you know, we rehearsed and recorded all remotely via Zoom so people are in their homes and we can't touch each other to offer that in, in embrace of reassurance. So what we could do was kind of, you know, just keep the Zoom room um, as brave a space and vulnerable a space as possible. So, um, so the like leadership of Aurora um, came in uh, very rarely, you know, to kind of do the the regular administrative functions like hear, read through, and offer some notes. Or, but um, but rehearsals were pretty um, closed so that mm-hmm. we could have honest conversations. Right, you know, wow. 
we could talk oh, about wow. what it meant to grow up black. And Michael was the only man in the cast, so there was also a lot of energy around what it means to grow up as black women. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of us are sort of multi-ethnic black people, so where that sits in our identity. And Michael mm-hmm. raised a daughter, so having that perspective, too, like he says, of playing daddy, that's an easy role for so, so that we could really be ourselves in that space and talk about, you know, who was the dark-skinned person in their family and who was the light-skinned person and what did it mean in our families, that migration that you talk about, like what did it mean when our parents or grandparents uh, moved out west or up north or, you know, so, um, so that we could build the show with integrity. And, and so for that reason, you asked about the audience. I want everybody, I want everybody um, to listen, I really, I really think that everybody can can have an appreciation for this work and learn. But um, but it would be especially meaningful for me, um, for our black folks to listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, so how how was it for you, uh, Michael, to be um, the only man and to have raised a daughter? And this is about little girls and their fathers. The story. And also the larger story is, you know, the oppressiveness of, you know, structural racism on, you know, being able to have a black family that's thriving. You know, there's all these different economic pressures, not to mention the racial pressures, which are based on, you know, which which make the economic situation what it is. I mean, yeah, it's just my father, I'm from New Orleans, and my father... Um, Headed out of New, out of New Orleans because he couldn't be a man in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, it, it fortunately through this walk uh, my journey through the arts. This wasn't the first time that I was the only male in a cast. I've had that experience a few times before, so that was not unfamiliar to me. Um, mm-hmm. And what I when I'm in that position, uh, I know that <laughs> part of my role was to be quiet and pay attention. And so I did that and listened to the story as it unfolded and um, and uh, inserted where I felt like it was appropriate, as opposed to um, in, in terms of um, navigating the world through, uh, I guess, the society. That's the story of my family. My uh, grandfather came to, he came what was west for him, from Mississippi to Chicago uh, mm-hmm. for a better life. He, he was basically forced out through an event that happened in his life that he had to leave and take our family to Chicago and Gary, Indiana. And then from there, my dad joined the military, and that's how uh, I arrived here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the path that many of our uh, ancestors and uh, four parents have uh, have had to walk. Uh, it just is. And I draw on their previous experiences, like they had to go through harsher conditions than I did. So that's something they were able to make it work. And so as a result, I have to make it work. I have to find a way to make it work. I have to navigate the uh, difficulties and hardships and inequity and find the positivity in it. Even if it doesn't appear obvious, you have to find it. You have to create it. You have to make it. And that's kind of how I've tried to uh, work that out. And uh, kind of to uh, join with Dawn on who I want to see the production, or hear mm-hmm. the production, rather, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, number one for the culture. Yes, I want black folks to come out and see it and hear it, support it, and connect to it because I think that we there's a, a, a kinship to this story that I think that many uh, black folks will have. But I can also say that I have a uh, overwhelming number of non-white friends and associates that are contacted me through social media that are extremely excited about hearing it. And so um, hopefully they will share with their friends uh, that are uh, non-black and um, we'll get a broad audience because it is a universal story. Uh, regardless mm-hmm. of the cultural specificity of it, I, I do think that it's a universal story and that uh, people can connect to it if they hear it and um, give it a chance. Just like we can connect to stories under all circumstances, uh, I believe that other folks can too. And so I'm looking forward to whoever is interested in hearing it, get a chance to uh, listen to it and check it out. It's a, it's a beautiful story. And it's uh, something, there's something out there for everybody, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, before we go, I was wondering, um, uh, Don, if you could mention the other members of the cast and, and their roles. Um, I just think about Kathleen uh, Ridley as Absolutely. mama. Absolutely. Yes. 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 I was like, whoa, that's yes. going to be something. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this and It is a dream cast. The alchemy on this was so right, so right. And um, Michael and Kathleen Ridley, who plays Mama, Mrs. Breedlove, they were actually offered roles way back when we were going to do it um, as a live in-person play. We had already started the casting process, and Michael and Kathleen were um, the, already had, were still available to, to do the project when it transferred to audio. Uh, the cast is rounded out by Janae Simon as Claudia, as I mentioned. Sam Jackson plays Frida Darlene. Sam was uh, last seen in Aurora, at Aurora in Exit Strategy with Michael and Prior to that, she had done Splendor, um, but she's a local SF-based um, actor who's done a lot of work. Picola is played by Jasmine Williams, who is it's just a huge point of pride for me. I've known Jasmine since she was, well, Michael's known her even longer, so I guess I can't, <laughs> even, I can't even brag. But, I, you know, I knew Jasmine as a young talent when she was still in college, and I directed her in her first Shakespeare play. I just, I, she did Bull in a China Shop last year at Aurora Theater mm-hmm. under my direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam, Janae, Kathleen, Michael, Jasmine. <laughs> that, is, that is our cast. And, um, <laughs> and they had all worked together in various combinations, so there was already a lot of love in the room, like Michael nice. and Kathleen. They've been working together for, like, 20 years. They've worked on so many things together, and, like, Michael and Sam had worked together, and Michael knew Jasmine since she was a child, and, and I had worked mm-hmm. with Janae, and Michael had worked with Janae. And so it's just <laughs> such a beautiful, um, like, coming together of this group of, mm-hmm. of humans um, who I had all yeah. just so long admired and was eager to put in a room together. Oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. Yeah, I got a... Um... I got a response from uh, Jasmine, who is busy today, but we're going to try to work something out next week. And Janae, she said she was busy today, but we might be able to, you know, continue these conversations, you know. Um, oh, that would be uh, so wonderful. Throughout, throughout the yep. run. Um, yes, oh, not really run. Yes, I guess you can call it a run. It's a F4 radio. I mean, we're calling it a run. <laughs> this, is a, this is a run. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> we're calling it a run. This is, this is definitely a run. Okay, super, super. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. I, I would love that, Wanda, if you got an opportunity to um, to connect with other members of the cast. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'd be really cool. Just, I mean, yeah. those women are just so, so dynamic um, yeah. in the mm-hmm. range of talent and experience and just the, the vulnerability and so much heart. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wanted to ask you, what year uh, is the Aurora? Like, what what season is this for you all? Oh, is it 29th season? This is our 29th season, um, and we are um, currently programming for a 30th season um, Mm -hmm. that we hope will be fully uh, returned to the space in person. We're not, you know, we're waiting for, see what happens with the local guidelines and and the union protocols, uh, but we hope to be um, back in our space. That will feel so lovely. (laughs) Yeah, to be yeah, in a theater, um, in a theater. <laughs> oh my goodness! Absolutely, um, absolutely. Mm. I would um, love to just take a moment. Our our commissioned writer, our ONG commissioned writer this year is Cleavon Smith. And, oh, for real! Um, oh my goodness! Yeah, Cleavon is so awesome. He's my yes, colleague he at in Peralta Community College District. Oh, is he still working, or is oh, he did he retire? No, he's, okay. still, he's still working, um, okay. and he's working on a piece. Um, uh, that's what we're waiting to find out. That's the title of the piece, and we are doing a um, developmental reading open to the public. You know, it, it'll mm-hmm. be uh, donation-based, so free and open to the public on June 5th digital, you know, so it'll still be streaming. Um, but mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, it's dealing with, you know, it's, it's it's dealing, uh, you know, it's an all-black cast, and it'll be dealing with, mm. you know, these um, ideas of what revolution looks like and the intergenerational thoughts and theories, and do we, is, is there a radical middle, <laughs> or mm-hmm. is there only radical? <laughs> so, oh, nice. so I'm, I'm pushing, hopefully, that we're able to produce that once we're back in our building, full production, but this reading is coming up, um, uh, so I want to get Cleavon's name out in the world and I'm directing it too so selfishly we'll plug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice, nice. So when is when is the nice. reading? That reading will be um June fifth. Um okay, and okay. we'll make sure, Wanda, that you get um all the information you need on that and it it's like I said, it's uh, open to the public digital. Um mm-hmm. so it'll be streaming. Um yeah. but that'll be like right on the heels of closing bluest eye, um, mm-hmm. so be interesting right. to kind of see where the conversation kind of, you know, in the in the relay, see how that one passes the conversation off to to this mm-hmm. one and Cleavon, such a gifted yeah. writer. Cool. I'm thrilled to hear so that you, you know tell- him and that you work with him. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've had Cleavon on my show. Oh my goodness. I think every every play of his that I didn't miss. I mean, if I knew about oh. it, Cleveland, can you join us? <laughs> and I tried, and I tried to make sure I was in the house for all of them because I love. I'm, I'm a fan. I just love his thinking. Um, I think the last Special. play of his Special that I saw was the one that he did at um, Theater First. Yes. It was a commission. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they had the two women, the two black women. The Jasmine. Yeah, Jasmine was one of those. Yeah, Jasmine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one was a revolutionary, and the other one. Right. Yeah, and then there was stuff happened that really complicated things because, yeah, revolution is hard, 
You know, yeah. like it's it's no joke. Yeah. People die. Yes, you get, it is. You know, you That's get right. challenges that try to compromise your values, and sometimes you sell out. Right. People think you sold out, but you really didn't sell out. You know, you were more That's like Booker right. T. Washington and W. B. Du Bois. Like nobody sold out. <laughs> we were just yes. trying to work yeah. it for the people. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Same thing. That's right. Like some people have guys. families and some don't, so they have different sacrifices that they have to make. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, is, yeah, it is complicated. Yeah. It's very complicated. Wow, so I'm really happy he's still on the theme of revolution. <laughs> <laughs> still out there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, um, Don, if you could tell our audience how to get tickets and make sure they don't miss anything at the Aurora coming up. But presently, specifically, um, you know, how do they make sure that they are in in the space, are tuned in for the bluest eye? With for the bluest eye, today. yes. Mm-hmm. Today, well, starting today, you can go to auroratheater.org. There's a big banner thing to click on. It says buy tickets. And um, it's online, same as you could have in the before times. And then you'll get a link. Uh, you'll pick a showtime, same as you would have in the before times, and then you'll get a link. And that link is good for 24 hours. So you'll click on that link, and starting with the selected showtime, you'll have 24 hours to um, listen. And it's, um, it's, uh, it is an audio drama, but it is voice over picture, so you'll see the actor's headshots. And it's, there's captions available for anyone who needs captions. So if you want the captions, you can watch that on your screen, or you can just let it play while you um, sit and meditate or run in place or whatever you do when you listen to audio books or radio plays. Um, so that's auroratheater.org. Big button that says buy tickets. You pick a performance date. Again, we run through May 21st, and then you have a 24-hour window, so you don't have to sit at 8 p.m. and listen right at 8 p.m. You have 24 hours before your link expires. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. And if you if you love it, you can go more than once. <laughs> you definitely can. That's right. Um, That's right. Go more than once. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we have and a we, friends, we, we encourage you to go more than once. We have a friends mm-hmm. and family um, code, and I'm going to do the thing where I'm going to say that everybody that listens to Wanda's picks is – family and I'm gonna I'm gonna give out this code. Um so it's bluest with a capital B, the word bluest, capital B C N C fifty and that will get half price tickets. So capital oh, wow, B bluest nice. Capital C the letter C capital N the letter N capital C the number fifty five zero and you'll get half price Kids. That's for friends and family. So if you listen to Wanda's show, you are you are friends and family. That's right. Oh wow! That's right, friends. Oh, nice. Well, now you really can go twice. Oh. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, you can have a couple of parties, a couple of listening parties. Okay, invite these friends over, Look. and then invite some yes, other friends indeed. over. Yes, and then you have have a have a conversation, you know, brought over the people that yes. you're sheltering in place with, right? Because everyone, a lot of people have those those groups. Or you can yes. be outside right. listening at yes. a matinee right. kind of kind of situation. 
<laughs> and I really, you know, I really do encourage the the listening parties. Um, you know, I have friends that, you know, I'm watching things with uh, digitally and listening to things with digitally. And, again, mm-hmm. because this, because our software is linked to, like, Vimeo, you can pull it up on your phone or computer, but then, like, cast it to your TV if you're using, like, Chrome or if you have, like, Roku um, mm-hmm. So that it can play on your speakers in your in your house while you have dinner or whatever. So, um, mm-hmm. so I definitely encourage people to build community um, around listening. Um, and of course, it does come with a content advisory, as we've kind of alluded to. There is some traumatic things, and there's the, there are scenes of violence, sexual violence, and self harm. So, um, people should make their choices with that information. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it also sort of encourages a person to not listen alone. Like you should have, yeah, have to be in community. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that, it's that kind of work. You want to talk about this. <laughs> Just like yes. we have. Yes. <laughs> and I'm I haven't so even grateful seen to you. I, Yeah. Yeah, this is Oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to it. I remember the last time I saw The Bluest Eye was on stage at the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Lorraine Hansberry. And, Lorraine Hansberry. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I think uh, Stanley directed it. And it was it was, it was was um, being staged at the same time that The Color Purple was also, the musical, <laughs> was also being produced. And I can't remember the name of the theater in San Francisco, but we had two... Two plays, and Alice Walker actually came to one of the productions of The Bluest Eye at Lorraine Hansberry Theater because people said, there she is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I was thinking, I don't know who the um, who adapted it for the stage, but I think this production is different. It's new. Is that correct? Well, Lydia did this in 2005. Okay. So, oh, so it could have been the um, same I believe one. It, I believe because, it was. Yeah, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was the same one, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. It was so powerful. I, I was yeah. so happy I went to a matinee so I could walk around. Yes. 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 Oh, wow, that's the same playwright. Oh, my goodness. Wow, and then I think about I think about Toni Morrison, and then I'm gonna let you all go because we could be on the phone for a minute. Um, I was thinking about I was thinking about the uh, Toni Morrison's jazz, and um, and the adaptation for stage at the um, Marin uh, Theater Company. That was that was really really beautiful. Um, how um, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the uh, the play, the playwrights. Um, Name? Do you know who I'm speaking of? Um, I don't know off the top of my head who did that adaptation. She's from Chicago, and she also did the adaptation of Richard Wright's uh, Uh, Niambi E. Kelly. Yeah, Niambi, yes. Yeah, Richard Wright's um, um, Native Son, yes. Yeah, Niambi. She she is phenomenal. And she's an actress, too. Like, well, she's an actor and she's a playwright. Wow, Don, I'm scared of y'all. Like, y'all just do everything. Like, okay. <laughs> but it's so good to have sisters in these roles, right, in the plays, directing super the plays. Superpowers, superpowers. Oh, I'm sorry, Michael. Um, I'm happy to have you here, too. But... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Don. 
I, like I said, I've learned to be quiet and listen and uh, just pay attention and, <laughs> and, and drop in what I can. I understand. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was so lovely. And thanks so much for for taking my unsolicited uh, email, but I kind of like hold on to them, and I just did a search. I'm like, who do I know that's in a key role here? Yes. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you reached out. So grateful. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, looking forward to seeing you all in person, but you all are some of my favorite people. You're telling important stories. Um, you know, these are important stories, and I'm so happy. Um, with the audio, um, you know, radio iteration of this, we're going to reach larger audiences and, and, you know, really truly look look at how, you know, story story heals our people. Narrative, yes. narrative healing is a real thing. And so, yes. and we have to talk about these things. We so, um, we do, so, we yeah, must. So, Mm-hmm. So, so besides being entertaining, you know, it's also a sustenance kind of thing. You know, art is not um, something we can take or leave. No, no, it's, it's real necessary. And this is a necessary Definitely. kind of story. And you all are doing really important work. So I want to thank you all for taking on this challenge because I know it's not easy. It wasn't easy. Being in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Wanda. I mean, you said it best that. Uh, we need to we need art to heal. So thank you mm-hmm. for having us. Right. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You take good care, and I know you all are going to be back again. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, thank you. Too, <laughs> Looking all forward right. to it. Care. Oh, right. certainly. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Peace and bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Ah, so this was a really wonderful, wonderful um, edition of Wanda's Picks. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to another edition next week. Um, if you want to know about some of the Wanda's Picks uh, editions that are maybe not on Wednesday and Friday, just follow us. Or better yet, get the app. <laughs> Peace and blessings, everyone.